This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Hello and welcome to Scran, the podcast passionate about the Scottish food and drink scene. I'm your host, Rosalind Erskine, and on this episode... I met up with Roy Brett, owner and head chef at Ondine in Edinburgh. Roy tells me about his journey to where he is today. I met Alan Hill, who was the executive chef. And it was a really exciting time because there were chefs that came from all over the world, from Singapore, Hong Kong, and they all joined this kitchen. And there was this part that he always kept telling me about, like the philosophy of using everything in the kitchen, nothing goes to waste. And you know, this is what we're talking about now. And in 1985, he was preaching that to us. He talks about how seafood's popularity has grown. It's things like the fruits of the sea and the hot shellfish platters or shucking an oyster, you know, cooking a langoustine. Time doesn't change that. It's almost like it's perfect. An oyster's perfect. Before we get it, it's perfect, you know. And he tells me about being forced to make the decision whether to keep his restaurant open, even after surviving the closures of the pandemic. Should we still do this? Should we just shut down? You know, just do we call it a day as as our time come? Because we're getting told that it's time to reopen as such coming out of COVID. And at the same time, we've got this obstacle I'm now joined by Roy Brett, owner and head chef of Ondine. Hi, how are you? I'm very well, yeah. Good, thanks. Um, so we're here in the restaurant. We've had a lovely lunch, which we'll talk about a little bit later. Um, but could you just go right back to the start and tell me how did you get into being a chef? It's a good question. It was uh, actually my father had me lined up to be a joiner. So to go into trade as most guys did at my age in the the mid 80s. One of my neighbours has actually seen an advert in the Scotsman and they were they knew I had a keen interest in uh, cooking, just helping them out over Christmases and in the years. So they said uh, there's a position for an apprentice chef at the Caledonian Hotel. So uh, I went along for the interview. I met the chef, just became a lifelong friend and uh, that's how it started. So I put down the joinery tools. I wasn't a good joiner. So uh, I think I made the right choice. And was your dad a bit like, what's going on? Or was he quite sportive? Yeah, I think I think at that time in the mid 80s, I think there was uh, mass unemployment. I think everybody was uh, lucky to have a job. That's how it felt. So uh, I just felt lucky that I'd been given an opportunity. So I took it. You started off there and how did you get to this point? Like, what was your career progression till the point of owning this restaurant? Oh gosh, that's, that's quite a long one. I, I don't know if I've got enough time. But um, I, I worked at the Caledonian for three years. I really enjoyed my time there. This is where I met Alan Hill, who was the executive chef. 
And it was a really exciting time because I still call him Chef, so I still keep calling him Chef. Well, Chef had brought so many chefs up from London because he was based at the Dorchester. And also with his connections, there were chefs that came from all over the world, from Singapore, Hong Kong, and they all joined this kitchen. And there was this part that he always kept telling me about, like the philosophy of using everything in the kitchen, nothing goes to waste. And you know, the, the, this is what we're talking about now. And in 1985, he was preaching that to us. So it was, he was just such an inspiring person to, to work for. So uh, I stayed there for three years. He unfortunately left, but then Jeff Bland joined and he was there who later went on to the Balmoral. And I worked with Jeff for a year and then I decided to go to London because Chef Hill had uh, went down to the Savoy in London, so I went to join him down there. So I stayed there for two years and then I came back up to Scotland. I had a brief spell at Devonshire Gardens. I was quite very young and uh, I took my first head chef position on. I was far too young. Didn't have the experience, didn't have the knowledge. Uh, to run a kitchen, so I decided to go back to London and sort of learn my craft again. So I worked at the Belvedere at Holland Park with the late Jeremy Strode, who was an incredible chef. Worked with Mark Hicks down at Caprice in London, which uh, was, again, one of my, my food heroes. Um, kept everything really, really simple. Everything was thought about for the customer. They had a really good structure at that time as well. I remember having weekends off which was quite an incredible thing in hospitality uh, 37, 35 years ago. Um, and then after working with Mark, I also worked with Gary Holohead, who had the Michelin star down in Sutherland's in Soho, which I didn't really enjoy so much. Just a different atmosphere, a different feeling, different outlook. And um, actually it was Mark I went to after working with Gary. So it kind of, it made sense to get back into working about food the values of seasons. Not that Gary didn't have that, but it was it was more Mark's style of cooking. Because at the time, he was, Alistair Little was in London working, um, Simon Hopkinson, all these sort of guys who were like, who are my food heroes, you know, they, they cook simple food. They have good, good brigades, good teams, you know, they have a good outlook in life. So that's where I went. And then after that, I came back up to Scotland, met Karen, my wife, and uh, we opened up Malmaison Group in 1994. And I stayed there for seven years. We opened up five hotels. And then I decided to go and work with Rick Stein. So went to Rick Stein's as executive chef for five years. I'm, I'm conscious of time. <laughs> went to, I left Rick's. I really enjoyed my time at Rick's, but at the same time also knew that it was a family-run business. These boys were growing up, and as an executive chef and part of a business, which will more growth de development for the family, and um, quite rightly so, I decided that I would try to come back up to Scotland. So I rejoined Ken McCulloch and worked with him in Dakota, and we opened up Fourth Bridge and Eurocentral, and I did three and a half years of that. And I, I decided that it wasn't for me to be working in that sort of, not corporate environment, but just a, a bigger environment. It was like being lucky to work with Rick and Jill Stein in a family-run business and then going into this bigger environment. 
as Malmaison did when I left and for sort of similar reasons, I just wanted to go back into something a little bit smaller structured. So uh, I thought they were going in the di a certain direction. I thought I wanted to uh, go in my own direction and it was right, it was the right time. It was just the right time to do it. Possibly should have done it a little bit earlier, but yeah, so I'm 12 years on, uh, still here, yeah. And how have you seen the hospitality in Edinburgh kind of change in the time that you've ran this restaurant? Like, has it been quite a... I mean, obviously your whole career, you must have seen a lot of things completely change, but in the course of the last 12 years, how do you think things have changed? It's changed, gosh, it's, cha it's changed so much. I think what's actually happened is that, that you know, that first of all, the food scenes became much more diverse. So I think that's really helped. There's really good food being cooked in all different points of, you know, from you know, like from fast food to fine dining, there's a, such a variety and choice. I think it's expanded hospitality in terms of the options that people have. And I think when you go into this hospitality industry, I think you, you then have got a, a scope of choice as opposed to being, you know, you have to go into Michelin, you have to go into fine dining, you have to go into Red Stars or AA and, you know, you just want to, if you really enjoy cooking, you can cook it where it suits you. So I think that's been the biggest change I've seen. I think the food scene in Edinburgh is much, much better than it was. But is it better or has it just evolved? It's probably an involvement, I think, you know, because there was always good food cooked in, in Edinburgh, different places, different points. But I would say it's just grown, the, the depth of talent that's out there now. You know, there's so many good restaurants. So. Yeah, I feel, I feel in the last 12 years, I think it's all developed. I think in terms of structures and, you know, how businesses are operated, you know, the like for the four-day working weeks, etc., that we've been doing for quite a few years now, but, you know, it's becoming more normal. And I think that what happened through COVID and the closures, it's probably gave a lot of restaurants time to reflect on how they run their businesses and how they could keep staff retainment, how they can, you know, excite customers, how they can evolve their business as such. So I think that's all happened in the last 12 years. And the menu's a big focus on seafoods and fish. So how how do you go about creating those dishes? Like, what's your inspiration? And is it difficult to keep such a, like a nice piece of fish simple? But there's, you know, what we had today was absolutely lovely, but there was elements that were quite... Not complicated, but obviously, like what you get at a restaurant, is it hard to sort of keep the simplicity of fish and add things to it? Like if you were at home and go in, well, I've got this bit of halibut, what would I do? Sorry, that's like three questions in one. <laughs> Our philosophy is always really is, is keep it simple. I mean, Alistair uh, Little wrote that great book in the late 80s, and it is, it's just about respecting ingredient and it's not making things complex. And what we try to do is we're just looking at what's the best that we can get from our fish merchants how we can make the combination work in the season that it's in. Obviously looking at the availability, you know, looking at stocks and quotas and what fish to use at certain times and certain points. So there's quite a lot of conversations that go on for something to look so simple on the plate. But I think simplicity in cooking, you can't then mask it with garnishes. You can't mask it with foams and things like fireworks coming off the plate it's it's honest cooking that's what we try to do and being lucky to work with the guys like mark and mark hex and rick stein you know that 
they love really simple food. This year could be a really exciting year for everybody, you know, because if restrictions keep, I know I'm going on a little bit tangent, but if restrictions start to lift more and more, and then more people are going to come out and enjoy the seasons. And um, hopefully that people will be encouraged also because there's so much negativity just now about going out to hospitality and dine and eat and use places. I th we're, we're looking for encouragement for people to come out and, you know, it's a bit like Jaws, you know, when it says, safe to go in the water. <laughs> so <laughs> just want people to come back out, you know, and en enjoy restaurants like they're doing just now. Yeah. Yeah, there does, there's, there's like a sense of hope, I think, about this year, especially like you see going into spring and summer, the warmer weather should help and it could hopefully be back to normal. Fingers crossed, yeah. So obviously you've mentioned that you've got a big seafood and fish menu and how, so how did you land on that? What made you decide that's what you're going to be serving most of here? I think it's probably got a lot down to background and where I've worked and I think, you know, like when we're talking about Edinburgh's changed and the, the, the food scene's changed and things have grown and it, evolution in the last 12 years. I think in a career of 37 years, I've, I've kind of found what I like to cook. So I think there was that sort of, you found what you really enjoy cooking. I think Rick Stein was a massive influence in that and living in Cornwall and working with fishermen and working with day boats. That had a profound effect on how and what I wanted to cook. I always knew that we had this incredible, not, not Edinburgh, but the whole you know, the whole of Scotland's got incredible produce, has has all the counties, Ireland, there's just incredible seafood right around us. And I really enjoy fish because it's on the moment, it's it's cooked, you know, when we're cooking for you, we wait, once you've finished, we start to cook, we don't cook fish before. And, you know, we just want to give you just on point where it's just perfectly cooked. And, you know, perfection is a, a word that we'll, you know, we'll never achieve and nobody will ever do that, but we're just trying to cook it as best as we possibly can. We're trying to give you, a, you know, that moment and other produce doesn't actually do that, you know, so fish is very unforgiving as well. A minute too late, 30 seconds too late and the dish is a car crash, you know, so it's a, it's quite an exciting product to work with and it's things like the fruits of the sea and the hot shellfish platters or shucking an oyster you know, cooking a langoustine, time doesn't change that. It's almost like it's perfect. An oyster's perfect. Before we get it, it's perfect, you know. All the provenance has been done by the supply line. We're just got the, we've got the end job. Our end job is just don't screw it up, basically, you know. So we're, I think we're, we're very lucky. And I think I'm, I was kind of fortunate that I decided it was going to be fish because I just love it. Roy brought me into the kitchen to meet his team and show me around. First of all, welcome to the kitchen. Uh, I've not had that many guests lately due to obvious reasons and we don't really have many people from the outside coming in. So as you can see, it's quite a, a small kitchen. We designed it 13 years ago. So it's got the sort of traditional functions of five sections. So we've got the, the front section here on the pass where we cook all the fish and meat. At the back, normally Pete is cooking the fish and shellfish, so he takes care of that in the corner section here. And we kind of do a lot of sharing cooking as well, because uh, our ovens, we work both sides. So what we do is a team, we sort of all cook together. So Yo-Yo, who's uh, just mopping the floor there just now, she's 
all go on the main section, so she's handling all the fish and meat. Shellfish is cooked here. Phil here's my second shift. So Phil is actually covering one of the guys who's on his day off today, so he's doing the, doing the garnish section, the vegetable section as we call it. So it's, that's kind of changed again because vegetable section is not just vegetables now, it's, it's actually dishes. So we look at them as dishes, not as accompaniments as such. And then we have the pastry section just across in the corner there. And we've got little Momo across there on the, the dishes today. My youngest. And we've also got Brian who said just we just actually managed to get Brian on board. Uh, we're, we're sponsoring Brian to, uh, to be with us. So Brian's from South Korea. Fantastic cook. I met him about four months ago and uh, he just loves cooking and he wanted to come out of uni what he was studying and he just wanted to be a chef so we actually only found out yesterday that we managed to secure his visa so uh, he's going to be with me unfortunately around four years mate <laughs> so that's our team Roy showed me the rabata grill they have invested in during lockdown it was used to cook some of the food that I tasted when I visited on Dean and I can report that it was absolutely delicious producing a really unique grilled flavour to the fish I enjoyed what actually happened was when we were we were in lockdown and then we were coming out and then we went into another lockdown, we were kind of faced with a, a position with the, the restaurant. Like we were looking at the kitchen, how it was functioning before. So before here we had like a La Plancha, one here and two, a two burner. And what we wanted to do was sort of to enhance different flavours into the food. So one of my friends uh, recommended me to go into like Robata, to grills, to coals, because it starts to change flavourings and a lot of the restaurants that you know that we really love especially Brat down in London which is my go-to place for a, a little bit of inspiration which is just you know, Spanish cookery and like San Sebastian style over coals and it just changes the food, changes flavour. So we wanted to add something in that we could do with the restraints of what the building is so uh, we invested into this so it was like our like a little treasure um, has taken us a little bit of time to adjust and to cook with it, but it does change. Like I think if you taste the taste that you got off the scallop, it, it just transforms food. And like the uh, the monkfish, uh, the monkfish chop. So again, it just I just think it. when you've been cooking a certain way for 10, 12 years, I think it's good to actually bring in another almost like a another bit of armour to your cookery. So the food style, the concept of keeping food simple has not changed, but the actual uh, flavour bursts that we're trying to get through the food has. So I think we're sort of enhancing food. And like the flavours that you got today, like with the shellfish and the, the chickpea stew that goes with the halibut. Again, it's just a very simple piece of halibut, just perfectly cooked. And then we've got this real punch of flavour underneath with the razor clams and the bottles and all the juices from them in through the sauce as well. So it's, uh, yeah, it's starting to work quite well for us. Is seafood as a, an offering in Edinburgh, is it kind of growing from what it was years ago? Yeah, it has. It's, um, I, th I think you just need to look on Instagram and social media and you look at scallops in the half shell. I mean, we've been doing that for a long time, you know, 12 years. And you look at most restaurants now, they'll have scallops on. Uh, Oysters as well. Oysters have grown. You look at most menus now. Oysters are available. Actually, one of our favourite oysters, Carlingford oysters. They were our favourite from uh, from Louth in Ireland, and uh, they came over to see us. And uh, 
I remember cooking for my like one of my food heroes because it's like you're you're tasting food that uh, or we're cooking food for a guy that gives us our customers so much pleasure. But what I've found is that lobsters are on so many menus now, so many menus. So that when we twelve years ago there was about a handful of places that were using lobster. Now, like well, you just looked at the demand over Christmas. There was hardly any lobsters. The, the price had gone up to like forty-two pounds a kilo. When it's you know sitting just now at thirty-two, so a ten-pound a kilo difference, right up to forty-eight pounds on like New Year's Eve time. So it was just you're virtually giving lobsters away because you can't charge people that much. So I would say there's been there's sort of there is more seafood offering. I wouldn't say there's like as in more seafood restaurants, but there's more luxury around. Uh, you see a lot of caviar now, where you know caviar was you know not something you'd always see, but our, our suppliers caviar is available on a daily basis. So it's um, yeah, the mar- the market's completely changed. It's great, and as long as you know it, it's it's the quality and it's supporting the local supply line. Because just now, more than ever, everybody's needing to support each other. So, um, And if you, on your day off, if you were to go and eat and drink anywhere in Scotland, where would you go? Say time uh, was of no death, you could go anywhere. It wouldn't necessarily have to be within a day. Where gosh, would that's go? a good question. Well, there's, there's, there's places that I, I still want to get to. And there's places that are here that I really enjoy. The kitchen, I think uh, Tom's food what he's achieved in that that restaurant down at the kitchen down in commercial keys such a consistent restaurant it's always on point great food a little chart room with sean and roberta i love going down there mistral to see big sam next door for a glass of wine beforehand notto i love notto i just uh, it's such a great place i mean sure it's such a talented cook and uh, just that sort of I would say what, just that it's a really natural, easygoing type of restaurant, you know, that you can chill out. Um, Andrew Fairley's for a treat, definitely. Yeah, I miss Andrew, but his food and, you know, the way that um, Stevie's carried the legacy on. And then Kyle Buick as well. I want, I've probably not said that right. Shout out to Glasgow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, Glasgow's in you know, the food scene in Glasgow, like Bar Brett's food. I mean, I know my second name's Brett, but <laughs> Bar Brett is the restaurant I really want to go to. I mean, it's uh, I look at their Instagram and I, I know people that have eaten there and they just rave about it. It's just like Glasgow's just spurting up with so many good restaurants, and it's just like. You're in the you're in the kitchen here, and you look you see your social media in the afternoon, and you see another dish, and you go, I really want that, I really want that dish. I definitely want to get through to Glasgow more and try the food because uh, food doesn't have that boundary, you know. It's like the in terms of like I'm sort of being specific to Edinburgh and Glasgow, and there's so many other places you could try that I've never tried or I've not mentioned, but I just think that we're just so lucky that. This just seems to be this growth of talent and well-run places that are having fun with food. You know, the music's a little bit livelier. The staff seem to be a bit more relaxed in, the, in a lot of restaurants now in terms of their dress and their appearance. I mean, we've done that. We've relaxed our team. We asked them how they felt in uniform, etc. So I just think there's a sort of 
there's a real positive energy going forward for hospitality. So when we came in today, there was a bit of work going on in the building. We've got a lot of scaffolding up, but um, you're still here, still going strong. So what can you tell us about that? Yeah, well, this has been going on for quite a while now. The, the whole building's uh, under an investigation for remedial works. There's been timelines that we were being told we'd take all the scaffolding down. It's like, it is a building site outside. And it's, it's had a huge disruption to the business. You know, there's not many walk-ins. People can't see the restaurant. Taxi companies don't even know that we're open at the moment because they thought with the hotel being closed next door that we were closed as well. Yeah, we don't have any visual impact. We actually had to be quite clever about when people come into this restaurant, what will it look like? And my wife, Karen, and the restaurant manager, Craig Grierson, who's been with me since the very first day, we've been 20 years working together quite a long time. We actually sat one day in here when all the scaffolding was getting erected. You're just thinking, should we still do this? Should we just shut down? You know, just do we call it a day? Is it has our time come? Because like, we're getting told that it's time to reopen as such coming out of COVID. And at the same time, we've got this obstacle that's scaffolding all the way around our building. Is it just, is this our time? Is this it's time to stop? And the three of us still believe in each other and we all made the conscious decision that we would do it. We decided to screen off the whole restaurant to block out the scaffolding. But then we also thought, well, on the nautical side, just to have the portholes so people could still look out, we decided to give it a go, you know, and keep on being alive. So it's still a push, it's difficult just now because everybody's in a difficult position with coming through this COVID point yeah, we're just, we're giving everything we've got to keep the restaurant alive and, and keep it going. And we're still looking at new team members to join. We're still, you know, doing different menu options and, you know, looking at how more can we sort of enhance the customer's experience. The team itself, keeping them inspired really is part of what my responsibility is to, to keep the team motivated and alive. So they don't, you know, this is for me to worry about. You know, for them, I just want them to enjoy their, your services, their cooking, um, just the experience of being here. And, you know, I'm sure we're going to come through this. I'm 100% sure we will. But I think we've got quite a bumpy road ahead as well. We're not out of it yet. We're still open. We're open five days a week from Tuesday to Saturday. You know, we've still got our regular customers that are supporting us. Um, and Edinburgh's been really kind to us over the the last 12 years and we just want to keep pushing forward and uh, the last six months the restaurant got the national restaurant of the year for three years in a row we got the staff canteen chef of the year so the team's doing something right so uh, yeah we're still here and we're looking forward to 22. Do you see it continuing on in the family because obviously we've just met your son who works here. Yeah no chance no, <laughs> I don't I don't think so I you know I've I think my daughter's got different aspirations and goals and what she wants to do. My son's working here, he's actually quite natural at what he does. However, I know we've had this discussion even two days ago and it's not going to happen. I think it'll be, uh, you know, this will be the end of the legacy as such. And are you okay with that? Are you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, I like to see how they're, they're going to map out what they want to do and you know encourage them and support them forever whatever they want to do this was our journey you know that's not their journey and 
I think the days of having three generations, four generations in hospitality, I think it's uh, not as it as it was. But who knows, you know, you, whatever they do, as long as they're happy, I'd, I don't mind. It's cool. And no one wants to be a joiner. I was a terrible joiner. <laughs> My dad was a terrible joiner. Was he? did it for a long time. <laughs> final part of the podcast is called My Life and Food and it's yeah. five quick fire questions about food which I've maybe asked you before I can't remember oh, but anyway which a while ago right um, so just tell me the first thing that comes into your head so whenever I'm hungry I think of god I'm not very good at this whenever I'm hungry I think of who miss comfort food for me is <laughs> flatbread and who miss and my favourite childhood dessert is uh Butterscotch, Angel's Delight. My food heaven is? Oysters. And my food hell is? Veal kidneys. There you go. Thank you very much. Thank you. The team at Ondine are planning on opening their doors on Sunday the 20th of March for their first ever Ocean Roast. The team will be volunteering their time and working closely with their suppliers to create a special one-off menu with all proceeds from the day donated to the Ukrainian Red Cross. You'll find more information about this great initiative on their social media. Thanks to Roy for being my guest and thanks to you for listening. Please remember to rate, review and subscribe. Scran is a logical podcast that's co-produced and hosted by me, Rosalind Erskine, and co-produced, edited and mixed by Kelly Crichton.